Welcome to Farscape Friday, Episode 5. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, Back and Back and Back to the Future. I'm Kay here with my co-host, Taz. Hello. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today we're going to be talking about the Season 1 episode, Back and Back and Back to the Future. To quickly summarize the episode, the Moya crew comes across a ship that's imploding on itself and takes aboard two survivors who turn out to be genetic cousins of Luxon's. Dargo quickly falls for the female Elanic while Crichton becomes unstuck in time, unable to stop her from killing him, Dargo, and Moya. So this episode is really the first to tackle a major sci-fi trope which is going back and forth in time and having a really grim ending and then trying to change it. I think I'd argue that the, the first four episodes kind of put aside like the science fiction setting and wormholes and the aliens. The plots can really be very easily substituted into any action-adventure setting, you know? But here, Farscape is playing with time, and that's like one of the classic science fiction tropes. Yeah, the, the time loop is a pretty common trope on most sci-fi shows. The hero wakes up, he goes through a day, and then he experiences this, that same day over and over and over. We have movies like Groundhog Day, you know, that really draw out what a person can learn from beginning to really live their life and how you can draw out every moment of joy from your life. Like those tend to be about how to make sure you're taking advantage of every single moment that you're in. In fact, one of the best examples of this is Stargate SG-1, where Teal'c and Jack begin experiencing the same few hours over and over and over, <laughs> and they get a chance to do all the things they wouldn't be able to do in their real life, including playing golf into the Stargate, and including kissing Carter, which, you know, set off a thousand fluttering hearts of all the fangirls. <laughs> But here it's pretty different because John isn't really experiencing a whole day over and over. He isn't able to really see all the different permutations of his decisions. Instead, he just flashes forward from different moments and it kind of makes him able to see possible futures. So it starts with John touching a glowy green container on the Elonix ship, which he really shouldn't have touched. And you know it when you look at it, because it's really obvious that bad things are going to happen <laughs> when, he, <laughs> when he touches it. And they do. So he got, starts seeing these flashes, and he doesn't know at first if they're, if they're hallucinations or not, because the first ones are of the female Elonix Metalla, kind of in these really creepy, rapey kind of situations that are very uncomfortable. And then later on, the flashes go to Matala killing her colleague. Uh, what's his name? Varel? Yeah, Varel. I always forget his name. So killing him and then killing Dargo. And so obviously this really upsets John. And it takes him a while to figure out what's going on. And as the episode progresses, everything he does to try and prevent things from basically going to hell in handbags just make things <laughs> go even further out of control. First is Dargo dying, then is Dargo killing John. And then it's them both living, but Aaron shoots the Elonic ship and sets off this chain reaction that ends up killing Moya, too. One of the things about Farscape doing it is they set it up so it's not really clear to the audience what's going on at first either. And especially since the first couple of flashes are basically John just getting a boner from Atala. We'll talk more <laughs> about that later. It's really unclear. And then once he starts to figure out what's going on, he has basically two conversations with Aaron and he thinks, starts to get suspicious. 
And then what the show does with that is once you kind of got a handle on that he's traveling through time is they start to nest these flashes within each other. He ends up explaining what's going what's happening to him to Zan. And there's this point where he's holding a glass mask of hers and it drops. And that's kind of like the the mark that we go back to a couple times. So they try to change the outcome. He and Zan come up with an idea to separate Dargo from the Elonix so that he's not in the same room with Matala. It, of course, doesn't work. In fact, at its height, that moment you were talking about when he and Zan are sitting in the room together and he goes through three different ways of trying to solve the Matala problem within minutes. And it kind of comes down to the end where Zan, he starts interrupting Zan and Aaron when they offer solutions, being like, we just did that, we just did that, we just did that, we don't have time. Yeah. And then he doesn't think he's in a flash, but he's really in a flash. And he goes back to that point where the glass thing drops. And it's really kind of neat. He's kind of set up in a time loop that he didn't know he was in. Mm -hmm. Although I have to point out that that point in the TV show where after flashing twice and breaking the mask twice, then he puts it down on the ground and like smashes it with his foot. I'd forgotten that that still makes me angry. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, John. It's not an appropriate it's thing to do. completely unnecessary to break Zan's mask. And yeah. she just has this look on her face. It's kind of like, oh, sad puppy. <laughs> I know, sad puppy Zan. It's essentially an entire episode of that one moment from Back to the Future where Marty is looking at the picture of him and his siblings and they start to disappear. That's the entire episode of Farscape. And I don't know, it just felt a lot less satisfying for me than other episodes, than other shows episodes about repeating hours. Like in Xena, they, they've spent the whole repeating day just flat comedy. And in Stargate, they really spent it delving deep into what makes Jack-Jack and what makes Tilk-Tilk. And here it was just kind of, you know, it was kind of gross, to be honest. I was really grossed out by the sexy scenes that were the most of the flashbacks. That's the problem with this episode for me, too. It was really unsatisfying because the good parts of it, they were completely overshadowed by some of the horribleness of the <laughs> other tropes that this episode brings up. Because the whole thing with Matala, the flashes of Matala and him getting it on, are basically just to set up a rivalry between John and Dargo that is completely sexist and completely unnecessary and I just cringed through the entire part and I actually spent a whole lot of this episode cringing because for as much as I like the sci-fi time travel bit and like kind of liked what they did with it the rest of it was just uh oh yeah I mean to be honest I think that this episode kind of represents some of the worst parts of sci-fi tropes. Ironically, Farscape was running at the same time as this TV show called Lex. Do you remember that show? Oh my god, yes. And like that entire show is like all about sexy aliens and boobs and sex jokes. And it kind of felt like maybe they'd switched writers with that for an episode, to be honest. They were running back to back too. Like Lex was on right after Farscape, I think. Yeah, because you have this villain who talks in... I have to play a clip because if you haven't seen this episode, you have no idea how irritating her baby voice is. So I'm just going to play a clip and listen for how this woman talks because it is not how any other woman on the show talks ever. It's so kind of you to let us borrow your workbench. Are you repairing something? Uh, building something. Could it be a shield clan? How did you know? Oh... I've always taken a special interest in Luxon objects. 
The workmanship is exquisite. Your hands are quite skilled. Just contrasting the way that Matala talks with the way that Aaron talks. Aaron talks in this bold voice, and you can understand what she's saying. And Matala is using this like baby voice that drives me insane. It's awful and it's just like it's it's like sashaying you know Mm -hmm. but vocally and it's a way to really emphasize that she's this sultry sexy woman and her costume emphasizes that too she's basically got the leotard and tight steel going on it's just so obnoxious oh god it's so obnoxious (laughs) and it's not just that but it's Ironically, this episode both manages to use the sexy villainous trope and be sex shaming in the same episode because you're explicitly supposed to contrast Matala with Aaron. They have an entire conversation where I- I'm just going to play it because I can't even, it makes me nauseous just to think about it. I suppose peacekeepers don't need to know that much. Their females have no need for science or culture or even the art of attracting males. Unlike females who can only achieve their goals by seducing male after male. Ugh. That's my only reaction to that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, the whole thing just makes me so uncomfortable. I mean, I know this came out 15 years ago, but at the same time, it's like... Even then, I was, are we not past this yet? Mm-hmm. Why is like the, you know, the boobs and butt problem? And it's just, and we're still dealing with it today and it hasn't gone away. And it's just that much more infuriating when I think about it that way. Yeah, even now. So you have like Emma Frost, for example, in the last X-Men movies where she spends the entire movie like in her underwear and she's explicitly using sex to control men. And that's what Matala is also explicitly doing. It's just a very uncomfortable episode because, like I said, you would think Farscape would be better than this. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up one thing. Aaron in this episode is basically wearing a sports bra and a, I don't know, I won't call it a cardigan, but kind of an op- open shirt over her sports bra. And so she's even sexualized more than she usually is. But, you know, props to Claudia Black, who's Aaron's actress, for making her still seem the impenetrable solid peacekeeper who's still so comfortable in her body you mm-hmm. know you don't get that same kind of i'm seducing you vibe even though she's dressed for it yeah and also to point out that in case you watched this episode and decide to never go back aaron soon is never again dressed like that i think yeah. maybe at one point when she's on like a very hot planet <laughs> but you know she's never again dressed like this it's like they I'm serious when I say it, it just literally feels like they got an entire different cast, an entire mm-hmm. or, or an entire different crew, and an entirely different writing team just for this one episode. Well, I looked it up, and the writer of this episode only wrote one other one, and then he was never never wrote an episode after this, I think. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm curious what the other episode was. Oh, I can't remember. Oh my goodness, I should have written it down. When we come to it, I bet we'll know. Because Erin will, again, be wearing a sports bra. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think she does again, actually. But yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head. I wish I'd written it down now. There isn't a lot going on in this episode, except that I have to point out, going back to Matala, Dargo is kind of the one that mainly is the focus of her evil sexual energy. And that's complete air quotes, in case you can't hear it. 
Yeah, Dargo is actually also very uncomfortable to watch during this episode because as soon as he learns that they're Ilonics, who are genetic cousins to the Luxons, he suddenly goes into the, oh my goodness, must, you know, must respect generations and thousands of years worth of alliances, otherwise my people will be shamed by my inability to be hospitable. It's like the... The host problem. He wants to be mm-hmm. a really good host to them. And so he like, doesn't want to accept payment for them. He shuts Rigel up with some bullying about not even bringing it up. And he just wants to cater to their every need. And part of that is wanting to make sure that Matala is taken care of because he develops a very awkward crush on her. Mm-hmm. And it's just super uncomfortable to watch. He is just so awkward. And I'm so embarrassed by Dargo during this episode. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say they've built Dargo up to be a certain character. And he actually is that character for like all of one minute, the first minute of this TV, of this episode. And then it's like he reverts to an entirely different character. And I'll be honest, I just did not buy, I just did not buy the ex- his explanation of being lonely and it being the first time he'd seen somebody you know he'd seen Alonix and forever and it being almost like being with Lexens I just found the character switch so off-putting and also so out of character you mentioned the scene with Rigel but it isn't just bullying Rigel they all pretty much bully Rigel all the time this was explicitly like injuring Rigel in order to get Rigel to go away yeah what he does is he takes Rigel's earbrows and basically twist them which is one of the most sensitive parts on on Rigel's body probably the equivalent of clutching his balls or something it's it's just really mean and and (laughs) unnecessary and I don't know that I'd go as far as saying Dargo's out of character because we're so early in the season that we haven't seen him in the situation before and we do see later that he is awkward around women he is attracted to but at the same time Maybe the way I would put it is it's not a character trait I like in Dargo at all. Yeah. And the way he puts everybody on the crew second to his catering to Matala and his crush on Matala and wanting to bring tea to Varel and things like that. He basically dismisses all of them and their concerns because as the episode progresses, you know, Aaron gets more suspicious of the Elonics and what they've brought on board. We've heard already about wondering about what the cargo is. And Zan also, she doesn't think Moya sounds right. And so she thinks something's, something's wrong. We pulled a clip about that too. So we'll play it right now. Did you see how much food Dargo gave those Elonics? Well, it's not getting my share. You've been aboard Moya longer than anyone else except Pilot. Your point being? You know her sounds and her rhythms. Just stop and listen to her for a moment. All right. Moya sounds fine. Does she? So Zan... Zan is noticing something. She hasn't really interacted with the Elonics, but she's taking her cues from Moya. And on a Zan character note, I really like that because it goes back to her connection to Moya and really caring about the ship and paying attention to her. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those concerns that Dargo just brushes brushes aside. And P.S. Rigel basically gets sidelined this episode and he spends the entire time eating. Yeah, which is, I think this kind of the 
the grotesque avarice and gluttony kind of becomes a very early calling card of who Rigel is. So this Rigel actually felt very in character to me as somebody who was kind of like, hey, well, if he's going to give all of our food to these randos, I'm going to eat as much of the food as I possibly can <laughs> fit in my stomach before, you know, he has a chance to give it away. And, and then also the Zan moments do feel very in character of Zan becoming suspicious, not because she's suspicious of people, but because somebody is essentially telling her that her senses are not being real. For example, when she goes and talks to, what did we say his name was? Varel? Varel. Varel. When she goes to talk to Varel and she says, hey, this thing is happening on our ship. And he essentially brushes her off. Yeah. And is like, oh, you don't have to worry about it. And you can see her not getting angry, but definitely feeling kind of like that makes her more suspicious is somebody is somebody telling her not to believe her own senses than she ever would have been on her own. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's gaslighting her. Yeah, actually, gaslighting is a really good word because that's also what they're doing to the entire crew is they're they're telling them one thing and they're brushing off their concerns. And then with Dargo, you have Metala start to essentially tell him not to trust his senses and not to trust his friends. And actually, I think one of the grossest elements of Metala is in a flash forward we see where she is literally using rape as a tool to get Dargo to kill Crichton. Oh, and yeah, I, I hate that scene. Ugh, I'm going to play it so that everybody can be as grossed out as we are by this. Why would he do that? Where's Varel? You need to calm down. Rest and revitalize. I have a technique that just might... Back off, Major Girl. Well, keep your hands to yourself. Now you tell me, what really happened to your ship? And why are you trying to kill Varel? <sighs> Dargo, help me. He knows the truth. He threatened to tell the others, make them turn against me, unless I pleasured him. She's lying. I And in case you don't know, that last sound was Dargo skewering John with his Qualta blade. It's just really horrible to watch because it's every worst stereotype ever about rape accusations, and I just uh, it makes me. I just don't like it at all. One of the things Matala mentions in that that clip is that John is trying to turn everybody against her specifically. So part of the plot of this is that she is indeed a Scorvian, which is the mortal enemies of the Elanics, and, you know, back and forth history going back generations. And Aaron, through her suspicions, is actually the one who discovers this, and she's so proud when she tells everybody. But she finds out by inviting Matala to spar with her. And I'm bringing this up for, for two reasons. One... Because Aaron is being a clever, very clever here to basically judging her on her st her fighting style, and also because the sparring match is really pretty brutal. I mean, you think of sparring and you're like, oh, you know, they're pulling their punches. They're not pulling their punches in this fight. They are like wailing on each other, <laughs> and that's part of how Aaron draws out Matala and her real fighting style from underneath her disguise. That's how she figures it out. But I also wanted to mention that scene because one of Moya's rooms has been decked out as a peacekeeper training room. So it has a mat on the floor with a peacekeeper symbol on it and this mural on the wall that I'd actually never noticed before. And so it's just a little bit of set design that I really liked because it shows that, you know, Moya was an occupied space. 
and the peacekeepers had their own training facilities and their own quarters and all this stuff on Moya as the guards. And mm-hmm. I just really, I really like that little detail. It's very well done. And for all the, all the grossness of this episode, like there is a lot of male gazy shots. There are a lot of shots that focus on either <laughs> on <laughs> Matala's rear end or Aaron's rear end, and it's yeah. very uncomfortable. But there is this really nice shot where after Matala knocks out Aaron, Aaron falls, and she falls right in the middle of the red arrow in the Peacekeeper logo. It's a very pretty shot. It's very well done. Going back to their fighting style, having done a little bit of martial arts, you watch it, and you're like, what are they doing? <laughs> it doesn't even look like... Like, even in ballets where they do fake fighting, like ballet fighting, I'm like, it doesn't even look like that. It just looks, it looks very silly. They have their arms in weird angles, and they just have these really (laughs) clumsy punches that are going. Even Erin, who's supposed to be this elite fighter, she doesn't come across looking like an elite fighter. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, you know, one of her arms is completely fully extended. My husband watched that, and he just started laughing. (laughs) <laughs> he was like, she's going to get her elbow broken. <laughs> it's kind of silly. It's, it's kind of silly, I'll be honest. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about Dargo and how he's being led around by his... Do you remember what word? Mivonks is what Rigel calls it. Yeah. His balls. <laughs> <laughs> by Matala. But there isn't also a, another minor subplot to that which is that when he talks to Varel he wants to explain why he was in prison and we are led to believe that it's not the reason he told everybody it's interesting because he and he and John kind of begin to discuss it because John finds out also because John is eavesdropping on him on in a future flash Dargo talking to Matala about the same thing yeah about the same thing but it's just it feels so superficial compared to what the show has done for relationship building in the past. Yeah, and that was I think that's the other big disappointment for me about this episode is there's not a lot of relationship building between our crew that we get to see. The scene where John confides in Zan about what's going on, that's that's like kind of you know, that's nice, but there's not like there's not like a moment between the people. They're just they're just talking about the problem. There are a couple of really funny little lines here and there. John's acting weird and Aaron and Zan kind of look at each other and say, you know, he's being Crichton. <laughs> oh, I have to play. I have to play, yeah, play that, that one. That one's good. Is something wrong, John? Something's happening at night. It's a feel like it's just been... I'm just going to get some air. We have air in here. What is the matter with him? He is Crichton. <laughs> you know, these still little little tiny bits that really get through. And those are the fun parts of this episode. But there's really not that many of them. The two quotes I pulled just for sheer comedy. I'm going to play this, the second one really quickly. Natal Ascorvian. How did you find out? He says he is experiencing the future. The future? He can barely function in the present. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, to be honest, like, like the two funniest moments in this episode for me were between Zan and Aaron. But you're right. It, it didn't feel like Aaron and Zan were actually building any sort of relationship there. It just felt like they were the two available set pieces that the writers had. 
Yeah, because the construction of who's against who in this episode is Dargo is siding with the Elonics, and then you have John, Aaron, and Zan figuring out what to do about it and coming up with plans in opposition. And then you have Rigel who's sidelined with Pilot and Moya this episode. And it's not until everything goes to hell that John figures out, okay, we need to get Dargo back on our side. Tell him about the future flashes. Tell him that this is going on and that Vital is a Scorvia and there's something dangerous going on. And it's not until that point where they bring Dargo back to them as a crew that things start to go right finally. That's actually one of my favorite scenes of the episode is they basically stage an intervention for Dargo. He's finally convinced because... John talks about this future flash where he heard that Dargo has another reason for being imprisoned. So Dargo finally believes him. And then it's just this really smooth scene where they, they're like clockwork. They're actually working together as a team. They come up with a plan to handle the situation as a group and they execute it. And it's, you know, it's a very short scene, but it's just really great to see them already starting to gel together as a team like that. And it's not till the very end. Mm-hmm. Once Dargo is back on board and once he is suspicious of Matala, the episode starts to feel more like an episode of Farthgate. Yeah, or at least one that I like. (laughs) Yeah, or at least an episode that I could have enjoyed watching, which is ultimately that's my most disappointment about this episode is because it's been so long since I've watched the entire series all the way through that I was like, they have to do another Groundhog Day episode. Like, they have to. This cannot be their only Groundhog Day episode. Turns out it is. I've never been more disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) yeah John and Dargo's relationship in this episode is probably the one with the most movement I would say and it starts out in that really uncomfortable space where they manu- the writers of the sh- episode, who I don't forgive for this, manufacture this rivalry between them over Matala. So John has seen these flashes of Matala in the future. He tries to talk to Dargo about it as kind of guy talk because it's not something he wants to talk about in front of Xan or Aaron. Dargo, of course, takes it as John is having fantasies about this girl I have a crush on or this woman I have a crush on. (laughs) So he's like back off and he's like all territorial and stuff. And it's just and John's trying to deny it because he's just freaked out by what's going on with his head. It's just really uncomfortable. And Dargo's being a complete jerk about it. And then it just makes matters worse for like two thirds of the episode. Mm -hmm. And it's not until Dargo's finally convinced at that scene I was just talking about where he and John working together now go and confront Matala and Varel. And there's actually this point where they're Matala is escaping onto the pod. And this is one that similar to one of the future flashes that John saw that ended in disaster. And he grabs Dargo's Qualta blade and pushes him back before he can shoot and set off a chain reaction and says, you have to trust me. And Dargo does. And that's, that's their moment of the episode, but it's really short. You know, it's not a huge building, but there's this little increment of the two of them starting to really work together. Mm-hmm. I think John and Dargo are two of the characters that take the longest to become friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it does end up paying off. Even though Dargo and Aaron have been the ones that have kind of been building a more a bigger friendship in the past few episodes, Dargo and John's friendship obviously becomes way more important narratively to the show. And also, I want to bring up the weapon that Matala and Varel were out there building. If you've watched the series before, then this is the first time that we begin talking about black hole weaponry. And it is interesting because of how horrified John is. So if you haven't, if you haven't seen the series before, I want you to really hold in your memory that John is terrified at the idea of black hole weaponry. 
And I'd also like to point out that at this stage of the writing of the show, the writers have no idea what they're going to do with it. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, because they do they do, do something with it. Spoiler! <laughs> they do Spoiler. something with it. But, but that kind of massive weaponry be actually becomes a huge theme of basically, what, the end of season one onward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weapons of mass destruction. Emphasis on mass. Mass. Massive, massive destruction. Yeah. They tell the crew that they're out there doing... I don't know what the research they were there even the cover story was. I can't remember. It literally is just research. Like okay. it's so ridiculous. <laughs> They're like, we're out here doing research. And They're Aaron wondering. is like, what research? And they're like, whatever, we don't have to tell you. Yeah, no wonder I couldn't remember. But it turns out they're researching weaponry. Of course they are. So yeah, also a very big theme. I was curious how the show was going to handle this once we found out that Varel was making a black hole weapon, where he was making a weapon that was essentially a miniaturized black hole. And the show actually does kill him off in the end, because again, I think the writers don't quite know what they're, they don't quite know what to do yet with somebody that has the power to harness a black hole. So I think that with Varel, they knew they had to kill him off because otherwise they would leave this character out there that has immense power. Yeah. You know, this early in season one, we're still very much in John's viewpoint and John's framework of being a human, a good person from Earth, a peaceful person. Last episode, he tried to talk Aaron out of bringing a weapon to a meeting and, you know, resisted using firearms. He still hasn't killed anybody. He doesn't want to kill anybody. I mean, he's really seriously against getting killed and getting his friends killed. But there's that that very much, quote unquote, good guy mentality to it. And that viewpoint that we see Varel and the research through that I think is very still very strong in this in this episode in the first half of the season. Yeah, it, it very much is him being a good guy, him being a scientist, him not being a soldier, which we've talked yeah. about a little bit where he's definitely a scientist. He is not a soldier. The one note I will make is in the last episode, when Zan gives the the kid, the gauntlet kid, when she gives him John's flight suit, I had this moment of wondering how many clothes he had on his Farscape module, which brings me back to how far was he supposed to be going? Because there's no food on his Farscape module, right? There's clearly no bathroom facilities. It literally just looks like maybe a tiny fighter pilot, right? Yeah. But he was intending to launch himself super far into space. And he has like eight different, you know, IASA outfits. He's got his jacket, his pants, his flight suit, his shirt. I mean, I'm going to give them credit and maybe assume that his vest is actually just his jacket with the sleeves removed. Yeah, that's what I think it is. But at the same time, I'm like, that's a lot of clothing for somebody that's theoretically going to be back that day. Yeah, that's true. Let's not think too hard about that because they clearly didn't think about how long it would take to get back from Mars. Yeah. It takes nine months. (laughs) (laughs) Just pointing that out. Right. And Mars is close to Earth. Like seriously, (laughs) seriously, seriously close to Earth. It's a nine month trip. I mean, everyone's watched The Martian, right? Who's listening to this? Or if you haven't, Martian's a great movie. One of the big things they talk about is just the distance, and that's the big problem, is getting back and forth. Yeah, it's like the travel. I mean, well, even if you're just going to the moon, it takes a few days to get back from the moon, right? Yeah, it's like a, what, I can't remember, four-day trip to the moon? Something like that? (laughs) 250,000 miles. It's a long way. It's a long way. So... Other than the John clothing thing and the lack of food and the fact that the Farscape module doesn't have any bathroom facilities, 
my my point was in this episode, John is now wearing a black shirt. Yes, <laughs> which he conceivably could have stolen from the peacekeeper stores because that's how they hand wave his his wardrobe in season two. Yeah, no, actually, I mean, I did assume it was from the peacekeepers. I didn't okay, assume yeah. he'd packed multiple shirts <laughs> for his however long journey. But at the same time, I want to point out that this is the first time that we're seeing him out of his earth clothing and yes, more into. Yes. Well, that's I a mean, good again, point he's because... got pants and a flight suit. I mean, do do astronauts wear pants under their flight suit? Yeah, really? yeah, they can. I think so. Okay, I'm gonna I trust you on this wouldn't. one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's cold in space. They need layers, right? I'm assuming they would. I mean, you see them in ISS videos and they're wearing pants. Okay. I mean, they don't do laundry on the space station. I know that. They have to get their clothes shipped up in the in the resupply missions. So they do laundry runs with, with the dragon. It's great. <laughs> this episode, episode five, is the first time we see him change his shirt. So how long was he wearing his white shirt then? And because we don't really have a firm timeline... But we know we've, you know, there's been substantial travel that's happened in between him leaving Earth and this episode. And there's a, and there's a big time jump in between episode two and um, episode, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, in between IET. No, it's Exodus of Genesis and Throne 4 Lost yeah. because Rigel mentions they stopped on a, a commerce planet in between some there. Yeah. When so they picked up a... the food cube. Food cube. Mm -hmm. Food cubes. Yeah. Food cubes. <laughs> <laughs> Say that 10 times fast. Food cubes, food cubes, food cubes. <laughs> All right. You clearly are more articulate than I am. <laughs> no, but so, yeah, there's a, there's a time gem in between Exodus from Genesis and Throne for a Lost. So I'm kind of, I, I agree with you. How smelly was he before they made him take the Moya version of a shower? Right. And I guarantee that they haven't figured out laundry yet. I mean, you don't think that the peacekeepers ever did laundry on Moya? Well, we see them doing laundry in season two. I mean, I'm sure they did laundry. It's just, it's just, I'm not sure John has figured it out yet. Oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, he barely figured out the dentic. <laughs> or, you know, it takes him 10 minutes to open a door. So he might have been resistant to that for a while. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe Aaron get, had mercy on him and put and put stuff through for him. Yeah, like Aaron. I don't was... know. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. She would let him wander around smelly and just be like, be like, oh, that's just what humans do. Humans must be so <laughs> pathetic that they don't even do laundry. <laughs> yeah. I think he must have figured out the showers. But laundry, yeah, the laundry. I, I don't know about that. But his clothing was pretty torn up after after running through the planet on Throne for a Loss. Yeah. You know, he got thrown to the ground a lot. Do we ever see the white shirt again? I can't remember. I don't know. We'll have to look out for that. I want to say no, but I first season they could we could see it again. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll keep an eye out for it. We'll have like white shirt watch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> see if he has a, a varied wardrobe. That's all I had for this episode. Yeah. So what would you rate it? Oh, God, like a one. I would give this a zero if I thought that maybe we included zero. We have to save, we have to save the zero for another episode. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this is a one for me, too. It's just, it's, I mean, they try. It's, it doesn't have the character stuff I want. It has all the awkward stuff with Dargo. It has the really uncomfortable stuff with Batala. It's just, if you're ever going to watch Farscape again, skip this episode. You don't need to see it again. Yeah, this is the equivalent of Bugs from Supernatural, like season one episode Bugs. This is, this is the equivalent of that. It's just skip it. There's nothing you miss. You literally yeah. don't miss anything. 
Yeah, the the one continuity thing that comes up shows up later better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't even worry about it because they they do they bring it up later and they bring it up better. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening. That's our show. If you liked it, if you want to participate in John Crichton White Shirt Watch, please rate us on iTunes because that's how other people can find us. Bye-bye.